This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled upon the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, friends. I am just preparing one of my favorite recipes before I go out the door today. I've just taken the top of a tiny little uh, tin of spaghetti hoops and I'm eating them cold with a spoon. They're better out of the tin. So today I am so excited because I'm going to be meeting the Queen. It's Lawrence Cheney, the winner of Drag Race UK season two. Lawrence is 23. And when he was growing up in a small seaside town in Western Scotland, he says he dreamed of becoming a comedy legend like Joan Rivers. And by his late teens, he was ruling Glasgow's drag scene. This year, he's got drag race fans across the world dancing to his Highland jig. As part of the UK King Dolls, he's had a number one single with UK Hun. He's writing his memoir and developing his own TV show, which will be shot in LA. We'll be chatting on video today. And since he's going to be out of track, I'm looking forward to getting to know Lawrence the Man behind Lawrence Cheney. Lawrence Cheney, welcome to Comfort Eating. Oh, I'm so, so happy to be here. If there's something I know a lot about, it's comfort eating, let me tell you. It's so lovely to see you, to see the real you. Well, I don't know which one is the real you, but I feel as if I'm seeing the dressed down you, the between parties you at the moment. Basically what Grace means is that I, I don't have a wig on <laughs> right now. So uh, I am in a hotel, I'm on tour right now, so... How long does it take you to do the full, uh, I'm going to call it the full Yahoo? <laughs> it takes like an hour and a half to two hours for the makeup. And then it takes like half an hour to get wig, earrings, padding, the dress on, all that stuff. And 
Yeah, it's it's quite a long process. It involves a lot of duct tape and desperation. <laughs> <laughs> you should try it sometime. Each week, I get to try my guests' favourite comfort food. The thing that you would eat when you're home alone with absolutely no one to impress. Now... What is yours, Lawrence? I do have a tray in front of me that's been prepared for me. <laughs> Hang on a minute. I'm pulling it into view. Pull it in. It feels like it's a substantial snack. So. <gasps> oh, I am. yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I am proper scum. I have served you some macaroni cheese with a garlic bread log. I've never heard anybody call it a log before. Really? Normally because it just goes all in at once, you know? <laughs> so the um, the macaroni cheese uh, is still in a plastic container with the plastic that I've peeled off that's kind of got all the cheese clinging. Is it important to eat it still in its case? Would you ever spoon it into a bowl and go a bit upper class? Oh, you know, if, if it was Christmas... <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and something that I learned, I, I guess it was kind of th through my life, I kind of uh, was always a big fan of mac and cheese because my mum used to make it and my mum detested the short-bought stuff. But then I, I guess when I moved out and started living on my own, I was like, there's nothing wrong with the short-bought stuff. The short-bought stuff is the best because they haven't skimped on the fat and the cream. Do you not find as well, it's something my mum used to always tell me off for. We were only allowed at the dinner table when I was growing up two bits of garlic bread or something like that. To help with that, I'll have the whole log to myself and some mac and cheese from the shop, Mum. So out of all the snacks that people have brought along so far, this is my favourite. No! <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I shouldn't hand out favourites, but this is... To me, it's so naughty and so decadent and so exactly what you want, right? I've got a full log in front of me. I love cheap garlic bread and that. It's just, it's just, it's a symphony of beige and I love it. So, Lawrence Cheney. Yes. We're going to talk more about your actual drag career later. But first, for someone who's never seen you perform, what is the Lawrence Cheney persona? I think uh, you would sum up my aesthetic as a 42-year-old MILF who also looks at a purple blob. <laughs> a 42-year-old <laughs> MILF. And who is this person? Is there like a, a, a backstory? No, I think that there's so many drag queens that do have this backstory. And I know a queen called Chanel and her whole backstory, she's got an Austrian townhouse and all this stuff. But for me, I see it as an extension of myself. I see it as, you know, because I'm very badly bullied when I was younger. And for me, Lawrence Cheney is the superhero that is able to kind of save the day and take everything on the chin because there's that many of them. And um, <laughs> yeah, you know, just have a laugh and is strong, you know, that that's that's who my drag character is. It's an, purely an extension of myself. I think that's quite unusual, though. You know, I've known lots of people that work in your scene and it's quite unusual to give yourself your your actual given name. So where 
Where did Lawrence Cheney come from? Where's the Cheney? <laughs> Where's the Cheney from? I, lo- I love that. That's my new television series. No, um, when I was growing up, my real name's Lawrence Maidment, and I just thought. I was like, oh, who, who famous is called Lawrence Maidman? And I was like 13 and I started watching horror films with my mum and I loved watching horror films. I mean, she, to be fair, she was showing me like Texas Chainsaw Massacre Oof. at eight, so I don't know how that was for parenting. But um, <laughs> I loved kind of watching horror films because of how camp and gothic and over the top they were. And there was a silent movie actor in the 1920s called Lauren Cheney. I said, Cheney's a really fun name. And just went, Lawrence Cheney, Lawrence Cheney, Lawrence Cheney. Yeah, that sounds like it would work. And that sounded to me more like a kind of celebrity name, like, oh, she's going to be somewhere one day, you know? You were born in Helensborough. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I was. On the west coast of Scotland in 1997, your dad, Nick, was in the Navy and your mum, Phyllis, was a hairdresser before she had you and your big sister, Tamsin. Now, yes. I I know Helensborough a bit because I went to uni up in Scotland and I lived in Stirling for ages and I knew people from Helensborough. You know, it's quite a macho place, I always think. It's kind of Navy people and their children and <laughs> it isn't really a hub of drag superstardom. What do you mean? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> it is now. No. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's not. Because, I mean, Helensburgh's really, really small. The way I describe Helensburgh is it's kind of where people go to die a wee bit. It's a kind of retirement-y place. I don't think the tourist information are going to ask you to come and open the, the new office <laughs> anytime soon. Tell me a bit about being you and the person you were in Helensburgh. As a young child, I loved playing around and dressing up in costumes and taking my sister's princess dress and putting that on. And that's somehow, in society, we accept our children, young, young, young children doing that. But then for me, I uh, just never kind of grew out of it. So that's when I saw people were like, oh, there's something... There's something wrong with you. And I was like, mm, I don't know if wrong is the word. I just think different. Before I was called gay, I was just called different. I was called weird. Having seen you on telly, I just can't see you as a scruffy kid in jeans and T-shirt. What did the young Lawrence like to wear? I think part of any kind of drag queen's journey is rebellion almost. So I would rip t-shirts I would cut my vests up and make them into like big shirts and stuff I would uh, do some crazy crazy stuff I think I even wore stuff inside out and my mum was like you're wearing that wrong and I said no I'm wearing it right I was a very wild child uh, and I absolutely looked insane and scruffy and crazy and that's exactly how I wanted to look and I think I hope people who live in Helensburgh now, I actually know there's there's a drag queen who, who has started drag. They were 17 when they started doing drag and they're from Helensburgh. But I hope they feel more welcomed in Helensburgh than I did with their drag. And being able to walk around in drag to take a picture on the seafront or whatever without feeling scared, you know? When you were nine years old in 2006, your dad got a new job and you and your family moved to Berkshire. 
it must have been quite a big transition to make at that age. What was that like for you? It was just torture because everyone in England was calling me a Scottish this and a Scottish that and any kind of way to pick you apart. Basically, I'd be called fat. Or if it wasn't me being fat, I'd be called flamboyant. I'd try talking to someone and go, oh, have you got a pen? And they'd go, have you got a pen? And mimic my voice. And it almost started as small microaggressions. So you moved back to Helensborough after five years and went to high school, where I know that you also had a tough time being bullied again. How did you decide to handle it? Going back, it was really weird because they'd all formed these very close friendships and just remembered me as that weirdo that kind of cross-dressed. So um, f- for me, that was that was when it was like 2011. That was when I started going home for lunch and my, my mum would just kind of take me home. Who cooked when you were at home? Always mum. My, my dad would say he, he could cook, But by that, he meant picking up a fork, stabbing a plastic container and throwing it in the microwave. And somehow he'd still manage to burn it. What did your mum make? My mum used to bring me home from school at lunchtime. And just in case she was a bit worried about me, I was worried about being there on my own. And I used to have a cheese toasty. Or if I was feeling fancy, a cheese and tomato toasty. And for me... As you can tell already, I love cheese. Tell me more about what your mum used to cook. My mum used to try making loads of different things that you know her mum had taught her when she was younger. These kind of old recipes that, that almost sound like a kind of witch's potion, you know, eye of toad and all this kind of stuff. But she, she used to make some crazy stuff. And whatever it was, whatever it was, you could never... Uh, say anything bad about it. I I remember she used to make this dish called scurly (laughs) and that is um, foul. That that is what it is. It's gross. But um, in it, it's it's like porridge oatmeal and and then there's onions and there's all sorts in it because it had beef dripping in it. That was my grand's recipe. But my mum had it even drier with a few more vegetables in it. And you couldn't say anything about it. You couldn't say, oh, mum, could I maybe just have some pasta tonight? She'd be like, no, you're eating your scurly. <laughs> you could never get it down. I could put it in my mouth, mm, hold it here at the kind of under your tongue, and then you could maybe get two spoonfuls in your mouth before talking like, I'm fine, mum, it's great, it's great food. <laughs> And then I had, we had to spit it out. And I remember one time uh, mum made this and she said, oh, I'm, I'm going to just jump out. I'm going to see some friends, blah, blah, blah. And my mum went out and my dad literally was like, right, kids, where did you fit stuff yours? Where did you hide yours? I'll get some potato waffles out and I'll make us something. Like that, that was the, the kind of extent of it. Do you like potato waffles? Oh, yeah. So my dad used to do this thing where he would do, terrible if you're going to Marbs because no carbs before Marbs, but um, my dad used to do potato waffle sandwiches. <sighs> so he'd butter the bread, he'd put ketchup in, he'd do, oh, it was just, that was some good food. 
I don't want to be in mobs. I just want to have my carbs. That's oh yeah. <laughs> You've said that it was, like, really comforting to have your mum's cheese toasties in that period at school where I just don't think you were having a very happy time. And then she's there and she's got these delicious cheese toasties. What advice was she giving you to go with that when you when you saw her? And, you, you know, she'd know. Her mum always knows, doesn't she? Even if you were trying not to tell her. She immediately suggested me coming home for lunch because my mum was someone, she, she'd been there through all the school years, she'd seen it all, and a kind of running theme was I would tell a teacher that someone was bullying me and the teacher would either do nothing or they'd do that, stop it now, mm. and then the person would bully you more. Yeah, yeah. They just don't do anything. And I think my mum, she said food can, like, heal. So I think my mum used nice, comforting food as a kind of way to go eat this. This will make you feel good. And then if you want to share something with me, we can share it. We can talk about it. And she, she just let home be a safe space for me, you know. How did all this impact you at the time? You know, if you look back then. So I just wouldn't speak. I, I just could never understand why people disliked me so much for, like, the way my hair was, the way I walked, the way I sounded. So I was very, very quiet. And and it all kind of built up to this moment. And I spoke about it on Drag Race, where this guy in an RE class turned around and threw a, a, a Bible at me. And I, I just broke. Like in the Hulk, I broke. So I picked it up turned around and I threw it back and I said, there's the second coming. <laughs> and when I said that, the class turned around, looked at this guy and was like, ah, <laughs> laughing at him, whereas before they'd been laughing at me. And being able to reclaim that and take the, the, the pain that had been pushed onto me, because whoever bully, when you bully people, you're in pain. I know when I say nasty things about people, I'm hurting. That was the turning point for me where I said, oh, and I never realised the power humour had. Because I was very funny with my parents at home and with my sister, but in school I'd not shown that off much until then. Making people laugh and that first kind of ripple of everybody kind of laughing and you know it it's, it's really addictive that yeah overnight genuinely in school I went from being tripped up in corridors to basically people calling me a legend even the kind of straight guys in in school if they ever got too nasty with me all the girls in the school would be shouting at them and pulling them up, which was a total change from what it was literally a day before. And that, to me, is the power of humour. It feels like your mum has been, like, a really good friend all the way through. It's not just a parent, but a really, really good friend. And it feels like she's a really big influence on you as well. Is that true? Big Phyllis. I, I mean, literally... I would hang out with my mum all the time. My mum would have friends in Glasgow that she'd go up and meet or she'd be doing some errands or shopping or something like that in Glasgow. So she would take me with her. 
I love being able to see, you know, queer people walking on the street, you know, with bleached hair and coloured hair and wearing such flamboyant, fabulous clothing and being so freely themselves. I, I just loved that. So you went with you. So you went with your mother through to Glasgow and met other women, her, your mum's friends. Yes, mum's friends. All the time she'd go for coffee at the Willow Tea Room or something like that. And I would tag along. <laughs> you know something? You're such you're such an old soul. That's what I, I've been told for, for ages is, look, I, I do feel it's a great skill to have of being able to walk in a room and talk to anyone. We have something in common that I wasn't expecting when I um, I read up on you. You're a big fan of Joan Rivers. Yes. Oh, my God. So I met Joan Rivers in <gasps> 2011 or 2012 and, yeah, changed my life. Right, OK. Tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> so my mum bought me and her tickets to see Joan Rivers because I'd been a fan of Joan since, like, 2008, 2009. Basically, the kind of beginning of me reclaiming my sense of humour to, to share with everyone. That there's something about her that connected with me because I, I, I knew I was this sponge of information from my mum and all her friends. So I, I knew I had this kind of older energy and I met her. Uh, my mum got us tickets to see her show in the Glasgow Royal Concert Hall and we waited at the stage door and she came out and, you know, it was so gorgeous. Again, a testament to Joan and her career. And it's taught me a lot from kind of my newfound success is the huge crowd waiting for Joan. Celebrity, you know, huge. And she said, everyone calm down. I will sign everything. We're not leaving till all of you have been signed something. The only thing I'm not going to do is sign anyone's breasts because the last man's <laughs> breasts that I signed wasn't too happy with it. I just <laughs> couldn't, you know? So, Lawrence Cheney, you left school at 17 and spent the next two years studying acting and theatre performance at City of Glasgow College. What did you learn about yourself doing that? So I knew I loved Glasgow, which is why I went to study there. And I knew I wanted to do comedy, but I knew there was no course on comedy, you know, it, it, you had to kind of do it through acting. And when I went to college, I made, made a kind of few friends and, and basically kind of got into drag at the same kind of time. What was your first drag performance like? I had on a blue wig and I'd made this dress. It was, it was actually quite a fabulous dress because, again, my mum had taught me how to sew and she, love, she started with cuddly toys. I moved on to cat suits and fur coats. <laughs> and um, I, I made this gown with like latex bits and stuff. It was really, really fabulous. But my makeup was so rough. I don't even think I had eyelashes. And I did Katy Perry's song E.T. So I was like, I'm an alien. Ooh, I'm spooky. <laughs> And the audience were like, what in the hell is going on with this drag queen? But luckily enough, because I had a sense of humour about me, I was able to make that funny rather than like, whoa, 
But you've felt up until now, I sense, as if you've always been a bit of an outsider, whether it be at school or in your community, and then you go into the drag community. Did that feel like a bit of a breakthrough? Had you found your people then? Yeah, I think I found my people, but also simultaneously found my niche of being funny, campy, silly, but looking really fierce as well. So that that was when I was able to kind of respect that I was a weirdo, you know? In your drag persona, there's like an anger. There's like Lawrence Cheney, this kind of this 40-year-old MILF. She seems like someone that would throw a punch in a bar fight if someone was having a go. There is a kind of fierceness about it. And I can see where that's coming from now. I, I think you're totally right. And it's that even hosting drag shows, there's got to be good chemistry between you and the audience. And if you get a joke wrong or it doesn't land, you have to be able to reclaim that so you don't lose the audience. So you've got to have a seriousness about you. And I learned that at school was basically having to be serious because that could mean the difference between me being beaten up in the, the hallway at school or everyone calling me a legend. The persona is almost as if you've just almost been shot into the room. You're not quite knowing what to expect. And everyone's just kind of coming on that, like, chaos, chaotic journey with you. I would say I'm chaotic, camp and funny. I, I would say, you know, there's a kind of level of chaos which I think we can all relate to. And that's the kind of, um, oh, where's the microphone? Oh, wait, oh, it's run out of batteries. I, I love that kind of quick-wittedness, thinking on your feet thing i think i need drag so much you know drag isn't a job for me drag is a necessity drag is almost like a comfort food to me only i don't eat myself you know what were you eating for fuel before you started going out and doing well we'll call that performance Ooh, i'm an alien Ooh, i'm an alien <laughs> Because it was, again, so fast-paced, I used to have a pot noodle. Chicken and mushroom, the good old green pot noodle. I th I say it's the best, in my opinion. Don't know about you, but I love a pot noodle because it's quick. You can pick it and it requires little to no brain strength. I do agree with you that the chicken and mushroom is the best one. Do you bother with the soy sauce sachet? Sometimes if I'm feeling fancy. Do you know what I mean? That That is when you go, do I want a bit more kick? But then if you've got to be doing, you know, some performances, you might not want that soy sauce in your panties, you know? <laughs> you know, whenever I fill um, a pot noodle and it says fill level, I always think it's a person called Phil Level. <laughs> <laughs> That's your drag king name, Phil Level. Phil Honestly, I'm crying a bit, sorry. <laughs> Did you have a favourite after-show meal during this time? Something that you had after that you just, in the taxi, taxi queue food? Yeah, oh, always, because that's the thing, when nightclubs shut, you can't get a taxi anywhere, so you've got to wait, 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 wait for this taxi. And me and my friends, Ellie Diamond from Drag Race as well, we would queue up outside this this great shop, still there 
uh, in Glasgow, uh, just off Ingram Street, and it's called Palermo. And I loved it because they did mozzarella sticks, <gasps> kebabs, uh, chips, but like big, chunky, nice chips, chicken nuggets. They, they did everything. Did you ever get a munchy box? All of it. All of it in one big pizza box. That's what you need after a night out. We would go in all in drag or half drag if it had sweated off. And one of my friends, CJ Banks, used to always make out with the guy who worked there because she was so drunk. (laughs) So I I think this guy was so confused because I think this guy was like, is is this person trying to flirt with me? And CJ was just trying to get a free pizza. Was the guy in Palermo, like, quite fit? I mean, or was he... no? Oh, he's hot. Oh, well, there you go. Like, if I worked over a fryer, you could smell me from down the road. But this guy, he was gorgeous. Lovely chiselled face. It was gorgeous. Oh, yes. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. You know, I loved when you first arrived on uh, Drag Race because you, you kind of came in with this really bullshit persona going... Like, I'm really well known in Scotland, by the way, just because you lot haven't heard of me. And, you know, I feel like I should break that down because over the next few years after your first performances, you become famous on Glasgow's scene. Um, You know, as a comedy queen, you get noticed by TV producers. You made several shows for BBC Scotland. What was it like trying to make a living, though, from drag at that stage? It was really hard because the pay in in Scotland for drag is terrible. Sometimes shows would only pay you £15 for a guest spot, which is two performances, two lip syncs or singing a song or something. You would still have needed to have done three hours of makeup, uh, gotten into body, duct taped, styled a wig, sourced an outfit. So there's a lot of effort that goes in there. So I found it really difficult to become a full-time queen, but I would do like five gigs a day to, to make that amount of money, you know? I mean, drag queens have said to me in the past that every single penny that you get is ploughed back into being you because it's endless. Like 15 quid for a whole evening's work. 15 quid wouldn't even get me a three-pack of uh, wispy eyelashes. Yeah! 
Okay, for people who've never seen RuPaul's Drag Race, can you explain what it is and what it means for a queen to get selected for it? So RuPaul's Drag Race is an international reality competition show and it shows drag queens uh, basically competing against each other for the title of Next Drag Superstar and they compete and they lip sync against each other. They'll uh, do acting scenes with each other but uh, yeah, if if you've been living under a rock, I hope that summed it up for you. <laughs> it's a massive deal even to just get on there. It's a massive deal to even be able to audition for it. Because think how many drag queens there are in the world and there's only, what, like, what, 20 UK queens that have ever been on it? You know, and there are a lot of queens that would love to be on it. So I'm very, very, very lucky. You auditioned for Drag Race UK season one. You didn't make it onto the show. But of course, you did for the second season. You started filming in London at the beginning of last year and you were sometimes filming for 16 hours a day at this point. What was it like spending so much time with rival drag queens and I want the honest answer not the answer that you tell everybody else when you're trying to be nice <laughs> no you're wrong I never try and be nice to anyone so um <laughs> it's horrible you, you know I I I really um uh, struggled a lot that that's why you saw me so emotional on the show I am quite a stern hard shelled person but I think what upset me so much about being at drag race was Normally, I can talk to my flatmate about something that's concerning me. But basically, there's no point sharing any stories or any worries with rival contestants because you're against them. So to me, I was just very scared to share anything with anyone. And that then resulted in me crying <laughs> so much. So it was it was a really, really very worth it, obviously. Um, but, it's, you know, it's hard. So you're working really long days all together. What kind of stuff were you eating? You have to eat very simple things because a lot of the time on Drag Race, you either get an hour lunch break or you get an hour more to do your makeup. And I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to win the title of Next Drag Superstar, I want to spend as much time on my makeup. But what we did find so funny was me and the girls used to pass about a box of Freddos and then it moved on to Kit Kats and stuff. Almost like contraband, you know, like, have you got the box? Yeah, I've got the box, yeah. You take that. Don't tell anyone. We'll see you. See you on the runway. Loved that. It was so silly and so much fun. So you're down in London and you're doing your thing and then the pandemic hits halfway through filming, puts a stop to everything for seven months. Yep. <laughs> You'd come to London for this enormous, exciting opportunity and then you have to go back home to Glasgow. What did you do? What did you do during that space? <sighs> it was really, really hard, but what me and my flatmate did, my flatmate's a drag queen called Kiko, and we hadn't had the chance to know each other terribly well. We we knew each other, obviously, like, because we lived together, but I'd be out most of the time or she'd be out. The pandemic was a time for us to really get to know each other more and get to know what makes each other tick. And do you know what makes us tick? Baking at home. Now, I have to ask you and talk to you about, did you ever try during lockdown these mug cakes 
I am aware of their presence. <laughs> However, I have never allowed myself to go there because they just seem so convenient. And and just it, I just can't let myself because I just know that once I do it once, that'll be a serious habit. Oh, they are naughty. They are naughty. You know when normally when you're baking, it's this big palaver. You need to get the rolling pin out, the pans out, preheat the oven to gas mark five and... I haven't got time for this science. Literally. You literally pour ingredients into a mug and literally put it in the microwave and literally minutes later, there is a cake ready. You eat it with a spoon. A warm, sloppy cake. Oh. Warm, sloppy and moist. <laughs> During those months, did it ever feel like you would go back to Drag Race? Sometimes it didn't. Sometimes I thought, oh, they're going to just cancel us because I, I was so used to getting the kind of short end of the stick with people bullying me and things kind of, oh, of course that didn't go my way. Of course it didn't, <laughs> like, of course... And I literally remember thinking, oh, they're going to cut the season and then start with a new group of queens and blah, blah, blah. Luckily, that didn't happen and I won. So you do go back, you film the remainder of the show, you become this very much loved character on the show, but especially by RuPaul, right? Yeah. You can see this little twinkle in his eye every time you come in and... <laughs> You've got, he's got this impression of you and there's just something about you that's tickled him. Did you feel that? Well, uh, no, he felt it because I did tickle him. <laughs> Listen, I love RuPaul so much. I literally have a cardboard cut out. I stole off a bus of RuPaul when I was like 17 in Glasgow. Like it was, it was a dream come true to meet him. And you know when they say, don't meet your idols because, you know, it's all, it always disappoint you. Never disappointed me once. Always gave me such amazing advice. Was so loving and warm. And I told myself, I was like, if you meet your idol, you meet Lady Gaga, you meet RuPaul, whatever, you need to make them laugh and you need to make them miss you. Yeah, that, that's the truth is when you miss someone, that's when you know that you've hit it off with them. Tell me about the exact moment when you were told you that you'd won. We all filmed different endings to the show, so we didn't even know when filming, because it was me, Tace and Bimini, all filmed a, an, a crowning, and then they choose in the edit, whatever. So we were sat watching it, and I literally was so ready, because, again, I'm used to things not going my way. <laughs> I, was, I was sat there clapping and staring at Bimini, and I was like, oh, oh. And then the winner is Lawrence Cheney, and I clapped, and I went, whoa! And it just hit because I I just assumed Bimini would have won or something. And it hit me and I just could not believe it. And it's just such a surreal moment. I have watched that clip and cried about 700 times of me winning. <laughs> it must have been one of the greatest moments of your entire life. Yeah. The best moment of my life, actually. And then because it's such a big deal, this competition, and everybody has really strong opinions about who should and who shouldn't have won, there's then this kind of, like, weird backlash online and people are saying that Bimini should have got it. And what? How was that for you when you're in the middle of that? Did it hurt you? I mean, I, I have gotten death threats and stuff like that but before. 
as does anyone in the public eye with a Twitter account, actually. Um, it's quite ridiculous that because you won a reality show or because you hosted something, someone wants you to die. I just find it redundant when people try and throw about, you should die, it's like so basic. You know, come up with a bit more of an, a, a good read. That's That's what I say. So I just remember as soon as I won, I just told Bimini, I was like, seriously, I love you so much. And Bimini literally went on Twitter and was like, I love Lawrence. Lawrence is one of my best friends. And she told her fans to back off. So basically, if anyone was still saying Bimini was wrong, Bimini should have got it, they were disobeying Bimini. So it was really, really sweet how we all came together for that. Congratulations, babes. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, you're part of this multi-million dollar worldwide franchise. Uh, you're working on your own TV show that you're going to film in LA. Um, and at the same time, you're still just 23 years old. So much has happened to you in a very small space of time. How do you reflect on that? I reflect on it when I look at night, at like my pictures on my phone or a scroll back looking at like me at the BAFTAs, red carpet. And I then reminded myself of pictures of Joan Rivers on the red carpet, Don French on the red carpet. And you go, I just did what that person had done that I loved. So it feels almost like it was all for a reason as well. It was like you were meant to be put through the barrage of hate and stuff from people in school because you've grown from it. You've learned what's right and what's not right and how to treat people and how not to treat people. And, um, yeah, I, I just think it, it means just so much to me. So, yeah. Lawrence Cheney, thank you for comfort eating with me. Thank you so much. Oh, my God, this has been so much fun. This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Hannah Moore. The series producer is Leia Green and the executive producer is Cathy Drysdale. Sound design is by Sammy L. Anani. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review. You can subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. This is The Guardian. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.